What's up, everybody? I'm Sarah. I'm Shauna. I'm Sam. And I'm Bobby. And this is Speaking of Murder. everybody to another episode of speaking of murder and welcome to the new listeners a little bit of business before we get into the story that sarah's going to be telling us today um check out our other shows we have two other podcasts speaking of missing persons and speaking of hauntings so make sure you go check those out um give us five stars leave a review Share it with your friends. Share this with your friends. Share those with your friends. And uh, check out our socials. Missing Murdered Haunted on Instagram. Missing Murdered Haunted Podcast on Facebook. And uh, I think in another week, maybe two, we're going to have actually an announcement coming up. So get excited for that. I'm super excited. I'm excited. Yeah. Well, I think we're all excited. But <laughs> yeah, definitely. So now we, you know. Got uh, got through the business. Sarah, tell us a story of a murder. Oh, man. <laughs> All right, so I'm just going to start this out by saying it may or may not be two parts. We'll see. <laughs> All right. <laughs> because this is the case of the Clutter family. And so this case is, like, surprisingly, I don't think super well-known. But it's credited to be the case that started the true crime craze. Really? Yeah, because of a book written by a man named Truman Capote called In Cold Blood. So it's one of the first, like, true crime books ever published. Hmm. And it's written about the murders, and it included, like, the perspective of the actual killers, which was, is, like, a crazy thing. Most true crime books don't have interviews with the actual murderers, so it made it, like, the first of its kind. This case takes place in 1959, and... The book came out in 1965, so that's, like, how long it took him to research, interview people, gather all of this information. Like, like six years? And it's crazy because the way he wrote the book, it's more like a, a novel. Like, it, it almost doesn't seem like... A the, real story? Yeah, but it is 100% a real story. And... I know they use this book, like, if you take criminology classes, you have to read this book. So, the only reason why we heard about this case is because Shauna had a little blurb about a haunting that may or may not take place at the Clutter family house. And so then I started looking up the Clutter family and found this really horrible story. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm excited to to hear about it. Obviously, never excited that there was a murder, but 
I like hearing the stories. All right, so let's get into it. So we're going to a place called Holcomb, Kansas. And like I said, the year was 1959. Holcomb was a small farming community just 70 miles east of the Colorado border. The land was flat as far as the eye could see. The Santa Fe River ran down the middle of town. Not river, sorry. The Santa Fe (laughs) train tracks. Train tracks ran down the middle of town. To the south is the Arkansas River. To the north is Highway 50. And to the east and west, it was like prairie lands and wheat fields. You so very flat. Yes. You can you could actually see the buildings in Holcomb way before you actually reached the actual town. And they at this time they still had dirt roads. There was no paved roads, roads didn't have names. It was oh like a very small community. The Clutter family lived in Holcomb. They owned a farm that they called River Valley Farm for the fact that their farm bordered the Arkansas River. When they bought this land, which some reports said they bought 3,600 acres. Damn. That's a lot of acres. But I can't, like, completely verify that because most reports just say a lot of land (laughs) well that would be a lot of land (laughs) yeah when they bought it at the time they just had one child but the family grew quickly became a family of six so they built a bigger house in 1948 and i will say when they bought this property or when they built this house they spent $40,000 to build this house, which at the time was a lot of money. Yeah. Their house was two-story, white frame house with brick. It had 14 rooms, an office with its own entrance. Uh, how many bathrooms? It did not say how many bathrooms they had. If it was less than, like, 14, it's not enough. <laughs> They didn't have 14 bedrooms. There was just 14 rooms. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was a 14 room, room. house, it not never, bedroom house. It never said specifically how many bedrooms or how many bathrooms, just that the house total had 14 rooms between the main floor and the upstairs. So it did also have a basement. Um, and in the basement, they created like this den area and they called it the playroom for the kids. All right. The house was at the end of a very long driveway, and it was shaded by Chinese elm trees. Nice. Are those the red ones? No. Those are Japanese maples? Right. Okay. Yeah. The Chinese elm trees are not red. They're just, they kind of look like oversized bushes, like they're big bushy trees. Apparently, it's one of the only trees that will grow in this part of Kansas because of how dry and sand, like dusty it is. That's weird that they would have a farm there if it's more of a 
arid yeah, well, it's, grassland. Well, that's like... What, are they farming wheat? Yes. one of oh, That's okay. one of the main <laughs> crops that they farm. Gotcha. So this driveway is like long, like I think a mile long. Oh, wow. Just to put it in perspective. A hundred yards away f- from the main house... There was another house that the family's permanent farmhand, Albert, and his family lived in. And Samantha's correct. The farm itself, they grew wheat, milo seed, and certified grass seed as their main crops. But they also raised sheep and cattle. And Mr. Clutter even managed to get pear trees, apple trees, and peach trees to grow along the river because people told him he couldn't and he proved them wrong. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. And he called it his little paradise. And he was very protective of these fruit trees. So let's talk about the family. The father was Herbert Clutter. At this time, he was 48 years old. He was not the richest man in Holcomb, but he was close, mm-hmm. and he was the most well-known person in Holcomb and surrounding counties. He was very social, hardworking man, and he knew what he wanted out of life, and he was really not scared to work for it. He graduated from the University of Kansas where he majored in agriculture. And at first, he kind of, he got a job where he just helped other farmers, like, grow crops, pretty much. Like, his job was for the state, like, actually traveling around and, like, helping other people determine what plants to grow or what animals to have and blah, 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 blah. But when they had their first kid... He decided to buy his own farm. Kind of like an agricultural engineer? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So he bought, when they had their first daughter, he bought his, he decided to buy his own land and farm his own things. And people in the town kind of made fun of him and were like, oh, you think you can grow your own stuff? You spend all your time telling us what to do. And he actually became like one of the most successful farmers in Holcomb. At the time, he was the chairman of the Kansas City Conference of Farm Organizations. He um, headed the community to build the first Methodist church in Holcomb. And during the Eisenhower administration, he was a member of the Federal Farm Credit Board. And he did not run for that. President Eisenhower actually sought him out. Because of his farming skills. Wow. Impressive. Yeah. Presidential recognition. That's something. So Herbert was married to a woman named Bonnie Fox. They had known each other for most of their lives, but didn't officially meet until Herbert was in college. She was three years younger than him and the sister of one of his classmates. People said that from the second he met her, he knew he was going to marry her. Because like I said, when he wanted something, he was like, I don't care, I'll work for it. 
So Bonnie is described as being timid, shy, and gentle in in Truman's book, but some family members said that that was not true. They said that she loved to host parties and be involved in the community. But Bonnie was suffering from depression really badly in 1959. Some people said it was like residual, like she had postpartum every time she had a kid. And then she, I guess some parts of that depression didn't leave her after her last child. And then she was also having back issues, which was causing her depression because she couldn't be as social as she wanted to be. So everyone in the town knew about Bonnie's depression, but it was like something nobody ever really talked about out loud. They just called it like spells or episodes she was having. And most days she spent her time in bed. She slept a lot. I feel like back then, anything outside of normal normal behavior, Mm -hmm. oh, they're having an episode. Yeah. Yeah. She's just having a spell right now. She's going through a phase. Yeah. An episode. Like, she has enough of his shit, freaks out, and has a meltdown. Oh, she's just having an episode, you know? Yeah. I'm going to start saying that. I'm going to bring that back. I'm having an episode. I'm having an episode right now. She did spend a lot of time in and out of a psychiatric hospital called Wesley Medical Center in Wichita, Kansas, but she's the one who always checked herself in. So it was voluntary. Like when she She was very well aware of what she was going through. Yes. She had just gotten out of the hospital two weeks before the murders take place. And This time while she was there, doctors found that she had a, what they called a misplaced vertebrae, which is like, um, like almost like Like a slip slip disc. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. So they told her that she needed an operation. And if she got this operation, then she would be back to normal. And like. She wouldn't be as depressed and her pain would be gone and like all these things. So the Clutter family was like super excited about this because she had been dealing with these things for years and Herb really missed his wife. Yeah. So it was like a big thing that they were all excited about. Plus, it was their turn as a family to host Thanksgiving that year. And they would be having like up to 50 guests coming to their house. And Herb like wanted to be able to tell the whole family like this good news that they had finally gotten. Obviously, she wasn't going to get the surgery before then. But he was it was like they were all looking forward to it. Like, finally, we'll get our mom back, my wife back. Yeah. So together they had four children. At first, I thought their oldest daughter's name was Yvonne, but I listened to... Oh, that's a French-ass name, Yvonne. But I listened to a bunch of people pronounce it, and it's actually Ivana, like Eve and Anna put together. Oh, okay. 
she was the oldest and in 1959 she was 23 years old she was married and had a six-month-old son of her own and lived in northern illinois their second daughter her name was beverly she was 20 and at the time she was away at college in kansas city kansas studying to be a nurse She was engaged to be married, and her wedding was supposed to be the week of Christmas that year. So they were not only planning for this big Thanksgiving festival feast. But also their daughter's wedding. But also their daughter's wedding. The two youngest children were Nancy, who was 16, and Kenyon, who was 15. Both still lived at home, obviously. Um, Nancy was described literally like the most popular girl in school sweet outgoing she was kind of like her dad anything she tried to do she was really good at and worked hard and they said like she had it's kind of like how what you were describing to me the other day with your friend she had her whole life planned to the minute oh okay so like she kind of stayed up later at night to have what she called me time where she like took care of her face and her hair and things like that because she was so busy in normal life she was like a ribbon winning uh like pie you know like they she had they entered pie competitions back then and like she had won every year Oh, dang. Because a, a bake off with like her cherry pie. She knew how to sew. She rode horses. She was just like this all around great girl. Like everyone loved her. She was dating the most popular boy in school. And he was a basketball hero to most people I, in town. I thought you were going to say he was the quarterback of the football team. No, because <laughs> in, in Kansas, their two main sports were basketball and baseball oh, at okay. this time. So he was like the star basketball player. And his name was Bobby. Hey, there he is. Rupp. <laughs> There's a Robert. Herb was not the greatest fan of this relationship, though, because they had been dating for, like, three years, and he didn't see the point in it because they were from two different religions. So the Clutter family was Methodist, and Bobby's family was Roman Catholic. So Herb kept telling Nancy to break it off with him because she wasn't allowed to marry him, so she was wasting her time, and she needed to find a good Methodist boy. And Nancy would always argue, like, I don't understand because you really like him as a person, and Herb would be like, it doesn't matter. You can't marry him. That's so dumb. But she... Even though, especially at this time, he was really trying to get her to break up with Bobby, she still was like, nah. Absolutely not. I'm just going to see what happens kind of deal. And by all accounts, like, they really did. Like, it was like that true teenage love situation. Now, Kenyon was described as never being able to stay still. He was very smart. He was also described as sturdy. (laughs) 
strong, polite. He loved building things, but he was not as social as Nancy. Like, he only had one friend, and she had, uh, like, friends all over the town. And his one friend was named Bob Jones. Oh, right. hey. There's, <laughs> There's another, another one. one. <laughs> it kills me. So lately, though, neither Nancy or Kenyon were getting to see their best friends as much as they wanted to because Bob Jones had just recently got a girlfriend and he tried to explain to Kenyon because he was a year older than Kenyon. He's like, in a year, man, you're going to be the exact same way about girls. And Kenyon's (laughs) like, no, girls are gross. And I would rather be hunting things or driving my car or whatever. Right. So they weren't hanging out a lot anymore. And Nancy's best friend, Susan Kidwell, had transferred schools because most of the kids in Holcomb, once they got to a certain grade, their parents transferred them to a school in the town over, which was Garden City. Because the schools were better and they wanted them to have better opportunities for college and things. So that's what happened to Susan. But Herb refused to transfer his kids to Garden City because in his mind he was like, we're from Holcomb. I raised you in Holcomb. You'll finish school in Holcomb and you'll still get into a good college. You just have to apply yourself kind of a deal. So... Both Herb and Kenyon wore glasses. They were actually pretty blind without them. This kept Kenyon from being like all the other boys. He couldn't play basketball or baseball, which was another reason why he didn't have a lot of friends, because most of the boys his age were doing those kind of things. And at this point in time, he was actually uh, making his sister Beverly a mahogany hope chest lined with cedar for a wedding present i was like oh that would have been a badass wedding present just gonna Mm, say yeah (laughs) sounds like a badass so on saturday november 14th 1959 was like any other day for the clutter family what they didn't realize is that this would be the last day they were alive Herb was checking on his farm that morning to see how the hired hands were getting along. And, like, this farm was, like, so massive. They had, like, at the time, 19 employees. Oh, wow. And a housekeeper. So Big farm. Big farm. After he, you know, was done checking on his farm, he was supposed to go to a 4-H meeting, which he was leading that day. What is 4-H? 4-H is like a agricultural thing for kid, like certain age groups, groups of kids where they teach kids like farming things and agricultural things and like... Kind of like a, an FFA type thing? I don't know what that is. Future Farmers of America. Yeah, kind of like that. Like a lot of times they'll have to like raise a animal from a baby or plant their own crops or, you know, it's like a... That's really cool. It sounds actually... I think where we <laughs> lived in Kentucky, really awesome. they had a 4-H camp 
mm-hmm. that you could go learn all that stuff. And a lot of them will actually raise like a pig or a cow from a baby all the way up. And but then they have to go through the whole process of like, now you raised it, you have to like sell it and do it's like from start to finish how the business would work. Oh, dang. So he was like leading that meeting and Nancy was supposed to go with him that morning, but she kind of double booked herself. So he took Kenyon instead. She and Nancy stayed home because one of the neighbors, I say neighbors, but they didn't really have any right next door neighbors. But one of the neighbors called and asked Nancy if she would teach her 11-year-old daughter how to make her cherry pie because the girl wanted to make it for Thanksgiving. So that's what Nancy was doing in the morning. And then she was supposed to run errands for her mom for the wedding and Thanksgiving. And then um, she was supposed to meet up with other people that afternoon. Honestly, this all sounds like pretty normal, small town America life in the 1950s yeah yeah i mean well even today i don't think it would be too ridiculously far off from this like yeah they have their smartphones but yeah yeah and you know computers and tvs and stuff they have all of the modern amenities but as far as day-to-day activities yeah it's all pretty normal like in this area in kansas is probably still relatively similar to that today Yeah, I'm sure it is, especially because that area is still very much farmland. Mm. I mean, even this house currently is still exactly the same as it was when they lived in it. No joke. Yeah, nobody has changed anything about this house. Dang. Or the land, I don't think, that it sits on. So the biggest thing about this time period was the, especially in this area, was there wasn't a, oh, you have to be 16 to drive kind of a deal. Yeah. Like they started driving at like 11. I was wondering when you said. That's not really weird. Yeah. Kenyon and driving his car. Yeah. He, Um, He had like worked on someone else's farm to get money to buy his own car and he had been driving since he was 11. And uh, Nancy's boyfriend, Bobby, like the first time he asked her out on a date, I think they were like 13, 12 or 13. They were 12. And it was to an eighth grade dance. And he's the one who drove them there to this <laughs> dance. Nice. So like this isn't your typical like these kids are driving themselves. At least the boys are. Okay. So. After the 4-H meeting, Herb was meeting an insurance agent named Bob Johnson. A lot of Bobs in this town. I was going to say, popular name. Welcome. Yeah. (laughs) Because for the past year, he had been going back and forth on whether to get life insurance. And for some reason that day, he decided, I'm going to get life insurance and called bob to set up a meeting the thing about it was is i don't think he like absolutely decided that day but he had went and got his physical that week okay so he wanted to start the conversations about life insurance no he had started them with this bob person like a year ago oh but he kept pushing it off and pushing it off and like man i'm healthy i'm fine i don't need life insurance and then 
he finally decided on this Saturday that he was going to call Bob Johnson and have him come to the farm so he could officially sign the paperwork and pay his first premium. And his insurance policy that he bought was a $40,000 policy, but it doubled in the event of an accidental death. And I was looking it up and in this time, it would have been like $150,000 if there wasn't an accident and like $300,000 if it was an accident, like in today's time. Dang. So Herb wrote the check and handed it to Bob at around six o'clock that night. Bob had joked with Herb that people around town kind of made fun of Herb because, and this, I was like very like, holy shit. But apparently since haircuts had went up to a $1.50 a piece, Herb was writing checks for that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. So it was a joke around town that Herb (laughs) wrote checks for everything and he never had cash on him. So Herb like answered this with, yeah, I write checks for everything so that once my son takes over this farm, it'll be easier for him. And every spent that I've ever or every dime I've ever spent has a paper trail, a paper trail. And it'll be easier for him to run this business. Because I'm writing checks. That was like his theory. So he, ne- like, it, everyone around well, town knew he did not carry cash. I feel like in the 50s, though, checks were very popular. Yes, they were. At that point. Yeah, as they well. were. Like, that was a, I mean, how long had checks really been around at that point? I don't really know, but they were a pretty big deal. I know they were still a pretty big deal when I was growing up. Me yeah. too. Like, and I think credit cards had been around for at least a few years at that point. Yeah, uh, not when I was growing up. It was like cash or check, I think. Yeah. Well, when when I was young, I remember like debit cards and credit cards were still relatively new, it seemed like. Yeah. And I saw people write checks regularly. Right. Yes. Yeah. That's how our mother used to do everything. Yeah. Via check. Everything mm-hmm. was by check. Her little checkbook. She yeah. balanced everything in her little checkbook. <laughs> Yeah, it was cute. So on this night, the so at, the way it's described is that there was a full moon, and the moon was so big that it was lighting Holcomb like the sun was out. Dang. So around six fifty p.m., Bobby Rupp called to see if Nancy wanted to go for a drive out at McKinney Lake because of the full moon. And he also said, if you don't want to do that, we can go to the movies in Garden City. But when she asked Herb, Herb was like, no, I told you to break up with that kid. (laughs) (laughs) So Nancy was like, I can't go with you, but just come here and we'll watch TV together. So... Bobby went to the house to watch TV with them. And it was him, Nancy, Herb, Kenyon, all just sitting in the living room watching TV. Bonnie had already been upstairs in bed. And later, Bobby would say he didn't even know if Bonnie was actually in the house because 
it wasn't something that people talked about. So no one really knew when she was there or when she was in the hospital. So he stayed until about 10.30 p.m. watching TV. He said that Herb was like not really paying attention to the TV until the weather came on. That's all he cared about. And Bobby said, all I cared about were sports. So once the sports was over, I decided to go home. But him and Nancy stood outside and talked for like another 30 minutes. It's said that Herb thought she was breaking up with him, but she wasn't. She was making a date with him for the next day to go to the movies. <laughs> nice. But while she was out there talking to him, Herb and Kenyon went to bed. And once Bobby left, Nancy went upstairs and got ready for bed. But she did like the things she always did, like washed her face, brushed her hair a hundred times on each side, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. Bobby just looked at me like I was crazy. That was a thing. And a hundred times on each side? What? Have you yeah. never watched the Brady Bunch? Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. <laughs> Not she really. Always... Oh. Yeah. Marsha, she always had to brush her hair a hundred times on each side. It was supposed to make your hair healthier and shinier and softer. Yeah, and... When Na in all reality, a brush is not good for your hair anyway. Yeah, well, Nancy did this twice a day. Okay, so yeah. her hair got brushed 200 times each day. Because that's what people did. <laughs> so, Herb slept on the main floor in the master bedroom. Because Bonnie said that he woke up too early and he disturbed her and they were always fighting about it. So she had just, she had been sleeping upstairs in Ivana's room for quite a while. Herb is the only one on the bottom floor. Everybody else has a bedroom upstairs. Let's see. The, so as far as Herb's employees go, he was known for actually being a really great boss. He paid a really good wage and even was known to just give out random bonuses for really good work. His only rule to be his employee is that you had to sign a contract saying you would not drink alcohol. Because of his Methodist beliefs, he believed in no stimulants no alcohol no cigarettes no coffee no caffeine he none of that but mm -hmm. all his employees had to give up was, was alcohol, alcohol. Okay. because he said alcohol was the root of evil and it caused a lot of problems for people i mean, I mean alcohol does. does cause a lot of problems for people yeah it yes does. it does and most of these in, most of his employees were more than happy to give up alcohol because of what he paid right and the bonuses and how they were treated so most people gave no crap that they couldn't drink alcohol but he they were told if he found out they had even a drink of alcohol they would be immediately terminated oh yeah dude's not playing no because he's it's said he had never taken a drink of alcohol in his life that's, That's hard to believe. Honestly, though, it's not surprising. That that wouldn't surprise me if he's that adamant about it. Yeah, and, and he's very straight-laced. and If he grew up in the Methodist church... I still find that surprising. That not even... Never even tried it. 
No, it's also said he never, ever tried coffee. Now, that one's hard to believe. Well, and his wife supposedly did drink coffee, and he hated it. Okay, here we go, people. One of these workers that Herbert had would be the cause of their murders, but he would also be the one that helped police find out who did it. A little after midnight on Sunday, November 15th, two men... Wait, which year? 1959, because okay. this is the next day. Like I told you, like gotcha. what they oh, did okay. on that yeah, Saturday, okay, so this they is all right went, after to they bed, went to bed. Right after they went to bed, two men, one named Richard Eugene Hickok and the other Perry Edward Smith. And Richard goes by Dick, but we're not doing that. <laughs> I can't spend like the, the, all this time saying Dick the word Hickok. saying the word Dick. She's not who I am. <laughs> they pulled halfway up the driveway to the clutter home just after midnight, and halfway was like half a mile. Right. Okay. Both men had gotten out of the Kansas State Penitentiary earlier that year. Hickok was a literal-minded person with an IQ of 130. The average is like 90 to 110. At the time, he was 28 years old, divorced twice, and had three sons, two by one wife and one by the other. He was born and raised in a suburb outside of Kansas City, Kansas. He had, in his younger years, like been on track to be as good as Herb. He was a star athlete. He got perfect grades. He wanted to go to college. He all around had his shit together when he was a teenager. But his parents couldn't afford to send him to college. They were poor. And he didn't get scholarships to go. I don't even know if that was a thing back then. And at some point, he got into a car accident that pretty much changed everything for him. This car accident gave him minor brain damage and a face that people described as being lopsided. Like one of his eyes was like constantly squinted. So kind of like as if he had a stroke. Yes. Yeah. Soon after th this ordeal, he quit his job and pretty much started writing bad checks and was arrested for a home burglary. Hate that word too. <laughs> <laughs> Perry was a very small man born in Huntington, Nevada. His mother was a Cherokee Indian and his father was a full Irishman, like red hair and all. Can you imagine those two coming together? They met while being rodeo performers. Perry was described as looking like a beefed-up jockey because he was so tiny, but oh, also... he was like a little man. Very muscular. Yeah, he was like a little man. I tried to find out how, like, how tall he actually was, but I couldn't find anything. But yeah, a little man, but beefy. Okay. When Perry was young, his father had left the family, and because of this, his mother became an alcoholic. He was arrested for the first time when he was eight years old. What? What the fuck? Yeah. I didn't Started know that early. Was a thing, really. Well, yeah, you go to juvenile. Yeah. 
juvie. And he would stay in and out of jail for the rest of his life. His mother actually died when he was 13 years old from choking on her own vomit. Gross. So him and his sisters were then just put in orphanages and it said his life in the orphanages were horrible. Eventually he did like meet up with his dad and try to fix that relationship and whatever, but he was still doing criminal things and in and out of jail. Just like Hickok, he had been in an accident, but his involved a motorcycle. And it left him with severe leg pain for the rest of his life because he had broken his legs in like five different places. Jeez. So Hickok and Smith were cellmates in prison and they became very close. But Smith never expected to hear from Hickok again once he got out because he was paroled like two months before Hickok was paroled. In the reason, though, was because Smith's parole demanded that he literally never step foot back in Kansas ever again. So they like, like that was part of his parole. They is he banned could, him from the state. They banned him from the state. And Hickok's parole said he had to stay living with his parents for a certain amount of years. Well, okay. So like his parents were in charge of him. And Smith was not allowed to step foot back in Kansas. Well, one day, though, Smith got a letter from Hickok telling him he had a foolproof opportunity and he needed his help to pull it off. So he pretty much sent him a letter saying, I got this job that I've been planning for months and I need someone like you to help me pull it off. And at the time, Smith was just like roaming around the United States, just living it up kind of a deal, doing whatever happened. He was kind of described as like the artist type. He played guitar. He drew. He had these like big fantasies of like one day going out and finding a buried treasure. This guy's like the perfect candidate for the Manson family. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, he's like free love, like, you know. A drifter. Yeah, a drifter, and he, like, literally carries around all these maps of supposed hidden treasures around the world. He's and a goonie. He, and he wants to find one. Maybe he is a goonie. He does sound more like a goonie, except crazy. <laughs> He's a crazy goonie Manson He's also member. described as... <laughs> His temper going from zero to 500 in a matter of seconds. Okay. Short fuse. Short fuse. Pirate. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So Hickok is more of like the logical one, the planner, the I want this certain life and I don't care what I have to do to get it kind of a deal. And not as brave as he comes across being. Okay, so he's more of a all-talk kind, kind of, of guy? Kind of. So the reason why Hickok picked Smith to be the one to help him with this job is because while they were in prison, Smith had told a story about beating a man to death with a bicycle chain. 
it was not a true story. Oh, okay. But he had told this story because he wanted to impress Hickok because some people believe they may have had a sexual relationship because it was weird. Like when Hickok would talk to Smith, he would call him honey or babe or things like that. Like almost like he was chastising him like, okay, honey, like pretty much calling him stupid in a way, but also giving him this term of endearment at the same time because he thought smith was crazy for wanting to go on these treasure hunt adventures but to get smith to come back to kansas he had told him he would go to mexico on this big wild adventure with him once they did this job so it was pretty much like they were both lying to each other see what i'm saying okay yeah so they would spit a lot of bs to impress each other yes all right while potentially holding each other's pockets. Yes. In jail. <laughs> yes. Okay. And <laughs> but at the same time that he got this letter, Smith found out that one of his other like former cellmates in Kansas, a guy named Willie J, was getting paroled like at the same time. And this dude was like the way it's described it's almost like he was obsessed with this dude and kind of sounded like he was in love with him, but there's no proof of that. He just kept calling him his old, like best friend. Like it was his best friend, like the only person he truly ever connected with. So another thing that Smith liked to do is leave things up to fate. So he decided he was going to sell his car, take his shit, get on a Greyhound bus, go to Kansas City, and if Willie J was still there, he was going to go off with him and just leave Hickok in the dust. And if he was gone already, then he would go help Hickok with his whatever his job was. And literally when he got to Kansas City, Willie J had only left five hours earlier on the same from the same Greyhound bus station that's a bitch and nobody had a way of getting a hold of him because he actually called the freaking prison to find out where he was going to go right and the warden said he said he was just gonna travel he didn't say where kind of a deal damn it so on saturday on the saturday so we're back to saturday that saturday before they go to the clutter house Hickok and Smith like prepared for this like they did maintenance on their the car Hickok had which was a 1949 black Chevy sedan they changed the oil rotated the tires replaced spark plugs like they spent half the morning making sure this car could get them there they told Hickok's parents they were taking a trip to uh Fort Scott, Kansas, which was 85 miles away because they claimed Smith's sister lived there and she owed him $1500 of an inheritance that he had gotten, but there was really no sister. And Hickok's parents immediately hated Smith, hated him. But he did not hate them. He actually thought they were nice people. But they hated him because they knew he had met their son in prison. 
and they didn't want their son hanging out with people he met in prison. Early that morning, Hickok had snuck his brand new 12-gauge pump-action blue-barreled shotgun out of his parents' house, and he brought a flashlight, a fishing knife, a pair of leather gloves, and a hunting vest full of ammo. Hickok's plan was to show up at the Clutter family's door, knock on it, and say they were lost hunters. Because in Kansas at the time, it was like pheasant season, and people came from all over the United States to hunt pheasant in Kansas. And it was like a thing where back then, if you hunted on somebody else's land, you got your actual permit for that from the owner of that land, and they just you just paid them directly kind yeah. of a deal. And they, interesting. and they wrote you out just like a sheet of paper saying you had permission to hunt on their land. So the Clutter family would have believed this because people hunted on their land every pheasant season, and, but Herb never charged them the money because his response whenever hunters would be like, we'll pay you to hunt on your land is like, do I look that poor that oh. I need to take your money? Keep your money. I don't need your money kind of a deal. But he would still give them the slip of permission. Well, once they got inside, their plan was that they were going to find this safe that was supposedly in the clutter house and steal $10,000 out of it. And Hickok told Smith over and over and over again, we cannot leave any witnesses to this crime. So be prepared to kill people. And afterwards, they were going to go to Mexico. Of course. Yeah. So they're under the impression because of another inmate at the Kansas State Penitentiary that Hickok had roomed with for the little bit of time when Smith left and he was still there. This They had been talking about like old jobs that they had when they weren't in trouble with the law and this guy was like oh I used to work at this farm called River Valley Farm for these people called the Clutter family and they were so nice and they paid really well and then Hickok started asking him questions like do they keep money on the property do they Like, does this man carry cash with him? Is he really rich? How many people live in this house? Like, all these things. And at the time, this other inmate was just answering his questions because he thought, like, what's the big, like, you know, they're just having having a conversation. Well, this inmate had told Hickok that he thought, thought, he saw Herb Clutter pay someone in cash for a large um grain order from a safe in his office but he said i can't be sure so there was no like 100% like that this there was a safe or cash in this house hickok just got it stuck in his head and was like there has to be you're saying these people are super rich they have to have money in this house so he had spent from this point in like July, August of 1959, planning out this whole thing before they went there in November. 
like to the point where he had even figured out from this other inmate the layout of the land and the house itself. He knew how many bedrooms there were, where the doors were, where... Now, at that point, as the other inmate, if somebody's asking you that oh, extensive no. of question, At this point, Hickok was telling this guy, his name is Floyd Wells. He was telling Floyd Wells, I'm going there to rob and kill them. Oh, and he was still giving him the No, at that point, like, he stopped giving him information once Hickok said, I'm going there to rob and kill them. And he just thought that Hickok was, like, blowing smoke up his ass and wasn't really going to go do this. Poor Floyd. That he was, like, no better. Oh, boy. But we'll get into all of that in part two. Ugh. Part two. All right. Ugh, boy. Oh, uh, you got me all invested. I know. With a loose-lipped inmate. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, manipulation I under- is I hardcore. At a point of somebody asking you the layout of the house, and, like, you're giving them, like, where all the doors are and bedrooms are, oh, I would be yeah. like, what does this pertain to the, to the story? Like, why do you need this information? About my employer. Ex-employer. Like... Ex-employer. Floyd Floyd Wells had not worked for the Clutter family in 12 years. Well, then he might have seen him hand the dude cash. Yeah, 12 years ago. He might have. But, I mean, you'll see in part two. But, like, he had even told him, like, that there was another house on the property that people lived in. And like the distance it was from the main house and that there was a silo in between the two houses. Oh my God. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if this Floyd Wells was like all there. I mean, he was in prison for stealing lawnmowers from a department store because he wanted to start his own lawn care business. Okay. I guess you got to start somewhere. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to blame Floyd here. No, I mean, I mean, and you will good see for him for wanting to start a career in, you know, an entrepreneur starting his own business, but I mean, there's other ways to go about it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, can't wait to tell you about part 2. All right. No, oh, boy. Oh. Uh, if you're also excited for part 2, make sure you follow, subscribe, Give us five stars. You know, leave a leave a comment and check out our uh, social medias. There will be a picture or pictures on our Instagram at Missing Murdered Haunted. Um, there might I think we're probably gonna have something on our Facebook, right? Missing Murdered Haunted podcast. Um, Sarah's shaking her head. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot. They can't can- see me. You can also get a snippet of the episode with a link to the episode on Instagram as well. And I post a link to the episode on Facebook with the pictures. Yeah, so you can share those with your friends if uh, you're not sure how to share the episode or they don't have, you know, Spotify or something like that. You know, they might have iTunes or some other app. Either way, um, share with your friends so they can hear the story too. And, uh, yeah, anyone have anything else they'd like to add in? No. 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 All right. Come back for part two. We'll see you next week. Bye. 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 Bye.